Hello and welcome to A Glimpse into the Future. My name is Rigas Hadzilakos and in this podcast series I talk to some of the world's leading experts to better understand how new technologies and ideas can shape our future. In today's episode, I talk to Missy Cummings, Director of the Humans and Autonomy Lab at Duke University. Missy is also co-chair of the World Economic Forum's Council on the Future of Artificial Intelligence and Robotics. So, automation uh, and autonomous systems, what's the difference? Uh, where, where do we draw the line? I think it's a great question and it's one that people get confused about all the time. Automation is when a set of rules essentially controls a system. And so a thermostat in your house, for example, is controlled by automation. There's a very clear set of rules that the system works by to achieve a desired state. Autonomy is actually effectively introducing uncertainty in that process where a system is no long, doesn't have necessarily a clear set of rules. It's guided potentially by a set of rules, but then it has to make some guesses when it doesn't really have a clear picture of the world. And so in autonomous systems like drones and driverless cars, engineers are built something called the world map, which is a brain inside of the computer, the way that the computer sees the world around it, and so it uses its world map inside of its head to make decisions. But just like you and I have to make decisions using a map in our head, for example, that you know you have to make some guesses. Well, should I go left or right? Is there more traffic if I go left? Or is it really faster to go right? So you have to make some guesses about what time of day it is. Um, have there been any accidents to actually get to the right answer? So we make guesses every day, and that's what autonomous systems do. That's actually what makes them so powerful because they're then reasoning at a higher level than just following a set of rules. But the question is when or if they can get to the point where humans can reason on what we call a knowledge-based level. So, in principle, it's not an if-then. Autonomous systems do not follow an if X happens, then do that. That's right. They, they follow a much more complicated process. Yes, their process would be, well, if this thing with the probability of 20% happens, and then that thing happens with a probability of 80%, then I'll look at doing this action if my sensors tell me that the state of the world is in a particular way. So there's a lot more uncertainty in the guessing of mm -hmm. what the right action should be. So I imagine the, the most uh, amazing developments up to now in autonomous systems are the, the autonomous vehicles, right? I think that's the one that people see the most because it's something that affects almost everyone's day-to-day -day life. And in fact, it is the hardest it's in, to control. It's much easier, for example, to control a drone in the air than it is to control a driverless car, even though a driverless car is a two-dimensional problem and a drone is a three-dimensional problem. But the reason is, is because there's many less things to hit when you're a drone. The, the obstacle density, the world is not as complex. When you're in the sky, you're in the sky, and you know only when you're down really below a thousand feet do you have to worry about buildings and towers and things. Other than that, it's a pretty easy, even if you make a little bit of a mistake in terms of the, you turn just in the slightly wrong place, then you know it's not going to be a big deal in a drone. You turn you know 50 yards out of place in a car and you're going to be in someone's house. Right, so it's a much more difficult problem because the decisions have to be that much more precise. So what other autonomous systems are you excited about uh, these days or do you see coming in the near future? 
So surgical robots, I think, are the next big leaps in autonomy for robotic systems. Right now, there are such things as surgical robots, a da Vinci, for example. But they're very primitive in terms of technology. They are at the lowest forms of automation, very if-then-else. But in the future, it is possible that the robotic surgeons could become a lot smarter. And by smarter, we're probably not going to get rid of the surgeon anytime soon, but it will stop the surgeon, for example, making an, a, the incorrect incision in the wrong place, mm -hmm. going too far with the tool, cutting through tissue that they shouldn't be cutting, or potentially recognizing using different kind of sensors like infrared sensors to see your body in new ways that the human eye cannot see and detect cancer cells, for example, that would not be otherwise recognizable by a human. So I do think in the world of medicine that we could see truly transformational technologies, it's going to be a while before we get there. A while, in your, your guess, would be more than a couple of decades? Uh, well, so academics like to say 20 years. <laughs> that is secret <laughs> academic speak for, we don't know. It's safe but enough. It, yes, it's, 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 it's out so far there. Enough, far away enough. We know that also in the military, uh, drones are used uh, right now. They have created a bit of controversy and in popular uh, science fiction, if you want, uh, what we call autonomous systems in warfare, we all think of, obviously, Terminator, uh, killer, and, uh, robots. killer robots, stuff like that. Um, how much of that is realistic? Where do we stand now and do, where do you believe we will be in the next 10 to 15 years? So this is a very tricky situation. Right now, the only country in the world that has a specific policy, and by that I mean a written policy on autonomous weapons uh, and human control, is the United States. And they, the United States has a written policy that says it will not allow any weapon to release um, on its own cognizance, meaning a human always is in charge. Mm -hmm. But there is a caveat. Then the policy goes on to say, well, if these four people, high-level people in the government, think that it's okay to let an autonomous weapons release its own weapon, then, um, that, that's, then we're okay with that. So that's created a bit of a controversy. Um, I would actually say, first of all, other countries need to weigh in and say what they think their policy will or will not be. But I, it is hard, right? In today's world, we do not have perception systems on inside of robots that are anywhere close to being able to recognize targets on a real battlefield. And, and that's important because real battlefields are often hard to recognize, fog, rain, the, the terrain doesn't look like what we originally thought it was going to look like. So we really do not have the capability today for a weapon to detect a situation and maybe a bad guy in the situation and then definitively be able to kill the bad guy and only the bad guy, right? Mm -hmm. So it doesn't exist today. But I was a former fighter pilot in the military, in the U.S. military many years ago flying F-18s. Uh, and I've seen a lot of human error most errors that are made in the bat in battlefield are human error when we kill the wrong people, either friendlies or civilians. And so I have actually seen a place where if we could design a system that could be better than a human, that could recognize targets better than humans, then I think the onus is on us then to use autonomy in that way. Because you do not, if, if we can remove human error from the loop and kill fewer people, then I think we should. 
Are we close to that? No. It's about the same as the surgical robot. Oh, it's about 20 years away, right, in my academic secret speak. But it is achievable, right? Mm -hmm. And so when people start to worry about killer robots, I think they should be worried, and I think we should be engaged in a dialogue, because what we don't want are rogue nations or rogue states to start using badly designed autonomous systems, which you can imagine will happen, and, um, and most terrorist organizations really don't care that their code has not been checked for reliability, right? They're just gonna let these weapons loose. Um, but we also need to be careful that we don't put bans on technology that ultimately could surpass our capability and prevent the loss of human life. So what would you suggest? Do we, do we put a ban until the systems are fully capable of being better than a human? Well, how, I think, how do we do it? Well, I think we need to agree on what we think an acceptable testing practice would be to guarantee reliability. And I think that this is really important, not just for the military, but for driverless cars, for example. <clears throat> for the car company Tesla has the most advanced um, car with driverless capabilities on the road today, and its capabilities have killed two people. And we are struggling in the United States with the question of, well, what regulations should have been in place to prevent that? How would we test that system? This is one of the problems with systems that make guesses, like I referenced earlier. If you have a system that's guessing all the time, how can we know that for sure it's going to act the right way under the very correct set of conditions, which in the real world can be you know, infinite, the numbers of conditions that these systems can see. So I think that as a global community, we really need to work hard at developing good test and certification approaches to autonomous systems in general, which would then inform not just driverless cars, but the use of killer robots as well. Yes, because obviously all, all the applications that you mentioned, uh, driverless cars, surgical robots, uh, autonomous soldiers, if you want, or systems that... Uh, that they have the capacity to kill, have the capacity to kill a human being. So where right, do we accidentally. stand? Accidentally right. or intentionally. Uh, so wh where does the ethical dialogue stand today in, in this uh, informed, let's say, community of academics uh, and technologists? So of, of those three examples that we're discussing, driverless cars, surgical robots, and military weapons, the one that is the most discussed and is the most mature is actually the military weapons. So for about 10 years, about 10 years ago, the U.S. government saw this coming and they started to form panels and conferences. And so I, I wrote an article, the very first article I wrote about it was in 2003, so that was 13 years ago, where people started to recognize that this killer robot issue was gonna become a, um, a topic that people were going to discuss. And so by that imagination, I think it comes as a surprise to most people that We've been talking about this for a while and that it's been funded by the U.S. military in a lot of cases and, and other NATO uh, nations as well. What has been the least discussed out of these are the surgical robots and the driverless cars, which are the commercial technolo technologies that, you know, statistically have a chance to affect you way more than a killer drone would. And I think that this raises the question of commercial entities. What are the responsibility of commercial entities? How do we engage them in these conversations other than litigation? Because for now, that is the way we discuss, at least in the United States, we raise the issue of um, control, what is meaningful control for surgical robots and driverless cars in the courts. And that's not the right place to do it. 
So I think more and more people are talking about it. I think um, the trolley problem, which is where, you know, what do you do if you have a person who is in a driverless car who has to choose between hitting a group of kids crossing the road mm -hmm. and then slamming into the wall and potentially killing the owner of the car, how does the car make that decision? And that's a play on the earlier trolley problem where it basically was the same condition except for a train, somebody throwing the switch for the train. So I think it's become real and tangible, this discussion, but I still don't think companies are probably engaging at the level that they need to because it's unpleasant and it's hard to grapple with. But I think by engaging stakeholders and engaging the public, we could potentially come to better solutions. Are you optimistic that in the next 10 to 15 years we will have had a meaningful dialogue that will result in some policies and that we will be able all to drive around in uh, autonomous vehicles quite safely or are you more skeptical both for the policy side and for the, uh, the how many autonomous vehicles will be out there in 15 years? Well, um, I call myself a realist and the practical translation of that is I'm a pessimist. Uh, I think at least, and I speak only about the United States, I think Europe is not as bad as we are in terms of avoiding these issues. I think in the United States, these issues are going to be determined in the court. Meaning I think it's going to be lawsuits, particularly in the driverless car arena, that force the change. And why that is right now is that the regulatory bodies that oversee these um, driverless cars, for example, are very lax and not really wanting to engage in any regulatory oversight. And right now in the United States, it's really anybody's guess, you know, it's, it's the, there's really no federal or state-driven regulations that have anything to say about what's a level of safety of these cars that, that they should meet. And so right now, it's just completely up to the manufacturers to determine that. I don't think that's safe. I think that there's got to be a feedback loop where there's some accountability somewhere in the system. So, um, and right now, unless things change, that accountability will be held through the court system. It's an unfortunate situation. It is the way that the American culture works. Uh, with any luck, the rest of the world can watch what happens in America and maybe learn some lessons and learn what not to do and maybe how to put in at least some overarching safety regulations so that this doesn't happen in other countries. What about uh, people, citizens? How do they engage in this discussion? And if you want, at the end of the day, would you buy a driverless car right now? Or do you feel it's safe enough? Uh, no, 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 no. I would not. Uh, I would not. Yeah, you know, I would not get into a car today that theoretically had driverless car capabilities. I work in this world. I know exactly what their problems are and how incapable they are in many settings, which is deceiving. Because, for example, most cars with driverless capabilities can drive pretty well down a highway with nice, clear lane markings in a, on a sunny day. And so, and we keep going with these caveats, right? Well, as soon as it rains or even just a slight mist, fog, for example, can ruin many of these sensors. And cars today simply don't know how to drive around crazy drivers, which I'm one of, by the way. I'm a terrible driver. We're all terrible drivers. But, um, you know, we'll get there. I think we'll get there. I think one day I will have a driverless car. I have a nine-year-old daughter, and when you can drive when you're 16 in the United States, in seven years, I want to have driverless cars because I don't want my own daughter driving uh, because that, I know just how bad humans are at driving. So we'll get there. 
But I think the way that your everyday person can get involved with this is certainly demanding from the manufacturers capabilities, giving feedback to the Fords and the General Motors and the Audis of the world. Um, this is what you want and these are the capabilities that you expect to have. And of course, engaging on, in regulatory dialogue, demanding safe cars. And you know, I think that ultimately consumers vote with their feet and their money and their checkbooks. And so um, we will see how as, as driverless cars become more and more commonplace, those with better capabilities that are easier to use and have better performance, those will rise to the top. It's just going to be a while. Final question. Should consumers play a role in solving some of these ethical dilemmas? Uh, or do you believe um, experts should be in charge of designing uh, how an autonomous system should react? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty adamant on this point. I think it needs to be a, a multi-dimensional stakeholder um, co contribution. I, you should not leave it up to experts, right? Because who, who is an expert? An expert from GM is certainly going to have a different um, take on this than an expert like myself who d potentially designs some of the algorithms get in, that get embedded in the car. As opposed to the person, um, you know, I, I had an argument with another radio personality about um, he will only wants a car that protects him and he's willing to run over a, a group of school children if it means it saves his own life, right? I don't, you know, I mean, that is the way some people feel. And so uh, I think that everyone needs to have a voice because not everyone sees this issue quite the same way. Thank you very much. This is a very important conversation and I hope your work progresses as it should to then take us to the right direction. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having me. That was Missy Cummings, director of the Humans and Autonomy Lab at Duke University. My name is Rigas Hadzilakos and that was all from this episode of a Glimpse into the Future. <laughs>